like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, everyone. In this special episode, I'll be talking with Emmy Award-winning journalist Ilia Calderon. Ilia co-anchors Univision's nationally broadcast evening news show alongside Jorge Ramos. She's the first Afro-Latina to anchor a national news desk for a major Hispanic network in the U.S. This month, Ilia published her memoir, My Time to Speak, Reclaiming Ancestry and Confronting Race. We'll talk about racism, intersectionality, and Ilia's own reporting on femicide. Did you find it to be somewhat of a, of a new experience, maybe even a struggle to open yourself up personally, where as journalists, we're taught not to do that? It was one of the most difficult things to open my heart. Actually, I had to rewrite many chapters many times. You grew up in a region called Chocó, is that right? Correct, correct. It's a small town called Ismina, and the, let's say as a state, is Chocó. It's oh, in the okay. Pacific coast in the West, yes. So, so tell us what makes this region unique or special. Uh, we are more than 90% African descendants, poor, were abandoned by the governments, affected by the corruption of our own leaders. But yeah, we were at the same time happy. When I was growing up, the first years of my life, we didn't have power. We didn't have electricity. So my clothes and my uniforms to go to school had to be ironed with a charcoal iron. I had to walk miles and take a 
small boat to cross a river to go to school. It was hard, but I think it gave me the drive to fight for something, to want to become someone, to do bigger things. And when I was 10, I told my mom I wanted to move to Medellin, one of the biggest cities in Colombia, where her sister and family lived. So I moved to live with my tia and her family and do my high school in Medellin. And that is a city where I first embraced him for the first time. Can you describe that? Yes. I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And it hurt me so much. And after I felt so bad because I didn't know what to say. And I decided to forget about the, the episode. And I didn't say anything about it. Not even to my mom. What am I going to say to her? And I decided just to keep it to myself. To keep it to myself. Those microaggressions, the way they look at you, the way they, they tell you with the body language that you don't belong here or they want to be away from you. They don't want to be related to you. Was that just something that you quietly learned how to live with? I just erased them as if it never happens. And then I kept going. And growing up, when you go back to those memories, it is hard. I didn't want my daughter to feel like the same way I felt. And we started a long conversation that never ends and that will never end. Like taking every opportunity you have to talk to your kids about this. And those microaggression, so-called jokes that are offensive when to refer to a dark-skinned person are hard and we need to eliminate them from our upbringing. So from what I understand, before you arrived here in in the U.S., you had this idealized vision of of what the U.S. would be like. When did you realize that uh, that vision you had wasn't necessarily true? In my country, Black people were always the service of the house or enslaved or the people working on the plantations. And for me, it was like, well, wow. But at the same time, I was reading Toni Morrison and I knew about the uh, experience of the slaves in the United States. But when you come and you see, you know, it's, you are in the news, you see the news every day, you, you see the difference and you can notice institutional racism, basically. You've experienced backlash against your identity as as a woman of Afro-Latina descent. And that's, that's essentially three different targets. For me, it's like being a minority within a minority, being Black, being Hispanic, and being a woman. The racism is very present in Latin America, from Argentina to Mexico. Wherever we had people enslaved that were brought from Africa against their will, in those countries, we have history of racism. I am proud to be a Black woman with my ethnicity being Hispanic or Latina. But my race is Black. My ethnicity culture is Hispanic. I mean, your husband is Asian, you're Afro-Latina, and you have a daughter who embodies all these backgrounds. And, and I'm so curious, like, what, what it's like to live in such a culturally rich household. It's just amazing. We knew we had different upbringings, different cultures, but we decided to embrace our differences and embrace what we had in common. The moral values, the respect, the discipline, the family values were all the same. So we tried to focus in, in what we have in common to start raising the family that we have today. 
I wanted to ask if femicide or gender-based violence directed at women is something that you've confronted in your professional life. I actually dedicate one of the chapters of my book. It's called, it's called The High Price of Silence. Um, and we traveled to Mexico and to El Salvador. It's hard in our countries. It's, it's very, even in, in, in Colombia, not talking about only Mexico, El Salvador, but Colombia, Peru. We have so many cases of women that are killed because they are women. As I say, we are not found dead. Somebody killed a woman, somebody assessing a woman, right? And, and we need to keep bringing the topic to the table. We need to keep raising our voices so more women find a, uh, the, a, a healthy environment where they can raise their voices and where the stories can be heard and believed and we start to end the situation. One of the underlying issues beneath all of this that has to do with, with the corruption that underlays the malfunction of the judicial system in Latin America is drug trafficking. And that's certainly, I mean, that, that's what ties our two countries together, Mexico and Colombia. And we spend at least one episode in Forgotten explaining how the U.S.-Mexico border became the gateway for Colombian drugs in the 80s and 90s. Yes, we lived in, in that era in the 80s and the 90s where the war between the cartels and the drug against the cartels was very hard. You felt in danger all the time, all the time. Every time you were going out of your house, you didn't know if you were coming back alive because a bomb was going to explode at a mall or a public place or just a street or they were going to kill someone and you, you know, were, were just passing by. You might as well be describing Juarez um, at certain periods. We don't even have to go to a, a faraway place to see these kinds of crimes committed against women. Here in the United States, we see femicide occurring. We need to have a system that supports women, like federal registration on a system of gender-based violence. Our countries need to distribute more resources to prosecute those crimes. The police forces need to be well-trained when they receive cases of domestic violence. Certainly, some of the things we witness as, as journalists, even though we don't experience them ourselves personally, they do have an impact. I know, and how to deal with all those experiences and the stories that you cover, the, the places you visit, and the struggle of, of the people you interview. Sometimes it's like, you know, it touches you at a personal level. Sometimes you cry when you go back to a hotel after listening to those kids, for example, in the caravan, or uh, a, a teenager that lost his mom that was, you know, murdered by her husband or couple is hard and um um this this book at the same time worked like an outlet of those experiences that taught me and make me grow as as a woman and as a professional well thank you so much Ilia for being our guest on this special episode to read more about Ilia Calderon and her story check out her book my time to speak Reclaiming Ancestry and Confronting Race. To learn more about femicide in Mexico, listen to our podcast series, Forgotten, The Women of Juarez. 
I'm Monica Ortiz Uribe. Thanks for listening. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.